Welcome to Locarno Meets, where the most exciting new talent and established legends of cinema come to chat about art, life, movies, and everything in between. Brought to you by UBS and hosted by me, Alexander Miller, from Locarno Film Festival. Imagine this. You're in your 20s, you've never worked in or studied film, when suddenly you find yourself producing an indisputably brilliant generational movie. The only catch is that it's going to be directed by a furious 12-ton tiger. Now, imagine that furious tiger isn't actually a tiger at all. Instead, it's Lars von Trier. I think given the choice, most cowards would choose the tiger. Marianne Slot is no coward and has now worked as Von Trier's production partner since the 1990s. Over the decades, her really quite well-named company Slot Machine has been a cathedral for independent cinema, providing a home for Lucretia Martel, Paz Encina, and Benedict Erlingson. If producers are gatekeepers, Slot is the person you want holding the keys. You've worked with, you know, generationally significant directors and... Now you've been honoured with the Raimondo Rezzonico Award at Locarno Film Festival. And to mark that, you've chosen to screen Woman at War, mm -hmm. which is an amazing film. And I love it. And I just want to talk about it loads. But I'm wondering, why did you choose to screen that? I chose that because I think it's very significant of, you know, kind of my company of what I do as a producer. I mean, and it was the film that probably gave him the most pleasure in the making because Benedict Ellingson, as you can understand when you watch the movie, is a, is a very original person and very fun and a very generous person. So it was just, a, it was pure pleasure making it with him as an artist. It was a very difficult film to produce though, because... It's very original and originality is not always easy to defend when you have the finances in front of you. And, you know, when you have a 50-year-old female action hero, most people would like her just to be 35. And we said, no, 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 no. We have, we like, you know, 50-year-old female action heroes. We don't have enough of them on the big screen. And then the form is a little bit funny. You know, the things with the, with the musicians, maybe we should take that away because it'd be difficult for the audience. Yeah. So it was a difficult film to make in that sense. But at the same time, we did it as we always did and we managed to do it. And I thought that it's a film that has generated a lot of pleasure with the public, a lot of energy with the public. And so I thought it was perfect to offer that for the audience here in uh, Lucano. I find it a very exciting film because obviously it, in some ways, is a climate protest film. I love First Reformed and I love Paul Schrader, but as opposed to being the bleakest possible Catholic film ever made about how we're all screwed, Women at War is more about sacrifice and community and, and it feels rather optimistic. It can be quite easy to be a bit overcome by the state of the climate. Do you hope that this is a film which could help people believe that they could be part of a change? Yes, absolutely. That's what the whole film is about. It's about civil disobedience. You know, it's just a one woman with low tech that uh, fights high tech and she managed very well. So I think that was one of the big things that make the film such a success because people, people actually felt that there was something you could do something like every person could just, you know, take a step to, to make a difference. I think that was very important. And what's really interesting about the movie is that it was, uh, we made it, it came out in 2018. Mm. And we actually have, it's still going 
showing everywhere. We had enormous success with the uh, schools, teachers using it in, uh, you know, kind of uh, in education. We had a lot of politicians who refer to the film, who uses the film. I want to tell one story, which is actually quite, quite, I like very much that we haven't told very much is that we won a lot of prizes in the film. And one of the prizes was the Lux Prize, the European Parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a film about civil disobedience. So it's quite funny that we won this prize. And uh, so we went to Strasbourg in front of the European Parliament. The day before we got introduced, we were sitting up on the very top floor, like looking down and we had all the big politician, European politicians making the speeches. You had Andrea Merkel making a speech, you know, limited to five minutes, talking about it, we sitting there. And then the next day we were coming in and it was very impressive sitting down there in front of the whole parliament. It was very nice because they programmed it at a time where there was a big vote coming up. So everybody was there. Oh, wow. That's great. And then the director takes the floor and he's a very, you know, kind of militant, engaged guy. And so he takes the floor for 25 minutes and nobody dare stop him because nobody knows the rules of how long time (laughs) you can have a director talking. So he actually made a political speech in front of the whole parliament saying like, you have a tough job in front of you because you have to go out to tell all the citizens and the voters that they will have less of everything. They have to cut down. They have to, you know, so I don't envy you, but I would like to give you a piece of advice. You know, you go out and then you tell them, well, you won't get this, you won't get that, but, you know, we will give you a lot of poetry. We'll give a lot of literature. We'll give you a lot of movies, you know. So, voila, this is my message. And if you need any advice, you just come back to me. So this was like fantastic, fantastic, fantastic prize. The best we ever won. Uh, but uh, I must say nobody ever called, oh, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, well, I think there's still time. There's still time. Do you get the feeling that it's inspired people who watch it? Have people kind of spoken about, I don't know, getting more involved in environmental activity? Is the direct re- result of the film? The, the, the direct re- the reaction to it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Okay. I, that, I, that I don't know. I can just feel that, you know, the, that the discussion coming from it is, is very interesting because it's like, you know, because you feel so very powerless, mm. you know, in front of this. And I think one of the things is, of course, there is, you know, it's politics, you know, that has to decide the big changes. But uh, in top of that, people also can do something and we all should do something. So in that way that when you see actually somebody inspires you that something can be done, it's only beneficiary and great. Yeah, I mean, do you consider part of your job these days to be kind of to raise issues that need to be discussed that are perhaps being ignored? Well, no, I don't, I, not directly. I mean, I don't like, I mean, my, my job is, and what has always been in all the years I've been a producer, it's a, it's a author driven company. I mean, I really, uh, I choose the authors and the project that they carry more than just a subject or a thing, sure. but obviously the people that I choose to work with, uh, or choose to work with me, I'm lucky that they work <laughs> with me is, uh, is, uh, people who have something to say. You know, I've been very, very lucky to be the French co-producer of Last One Trees film for 30 years. And, and, uh, you know, often it comes out that, you know, he's just a big provocator and a lot of press like to make the headlines and stuff. And what I always say is it's, it's his way of doing, he's a provocator and that's what he's doing. But the essence of what he does is that he wants people to think. And mm-hmm. if you actually go on the surface of the provocation, it's, he really raises, uh, you know, kind of a lot, a lot of uh, reflections and questions to subjects that are very, very difficult and then most people want to avoid. So that's why it's, you know, his, his oeuvre is so kind of disgusted and hated and loved, you know, because he's like, uh, you know, he puts you in front of something and he don't 
give you a back door to escape. You know, he, you see, you know, the reality in face, whether you like it or not. So in that sense, you can say, yes, I think that of course it's like when I do something that has, it has dimension somewhere, but I don't, I don't do film subject films or, you know, kind of, uh, yeah. No, but maybe I suppose yeah. it's possible to argue yeah. that, but by, by simply allowing people to make creative or provocative work, that is in itself relatively revolutionary at the moment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. Well, luckily we have people who support us, uh, you know, in the financing side to do those kind of things. But, you know, as I been trying to say along this thing, you know, giving, getting this prize, one of the things where I said, I really have to say that we have to speak up because the independent producers are kind of a threatened species now. Mm. It's, it, it really has become, you know, limit, you know, of where we are, have means to work and, you know, uh, creativity to have creativity is a political you know decision it's not the money that goes for it so you know i think it's great for people to know what producers actually do because they make it happen you know the talent is there but the talent needs the producers to make it happen and you know to have great stuff of stuff that changes things we need to to support all the producers who dare do that and dare take the risk doing that so go, go on then explain to us what do, what do producers actually do what do producers actually do actually the thing is you know Independent producers is a different thing in different countries. And even within a country, it's a different thing. And what is the definition? There's not one definition of sure. what it is. I can tell you what I do. <laughs> you know, that is one, one part of it. Um, first of all, I'm maybe a little bit atypic because I'm a French producer, but I'm of Danish origin. Mm -hmm. uh, and I produce authors uh, all over the world, not necessarily French films. So the way I produce is that every time I have a film, I go somewhere and I construct the production around the film. So I take, you know, kind of the essence of I would need to make this movie. And then I try to find the financing that goes with it, which is you know, I find the most organic way to do it because it's it's um, it's very difficult to find the money. And it's, you know, obviously, you know, when you get, you know, institutional money and, you know, it, there's comes a lot of conditions with it. That means that there's a lot of, uh, you know, contraintes, a lot of for the, for the director that has to fit and you don't want to give him too many of, of those to yeah. do that. So in, that's a way, you know, I become an independent producer because I am not set within a system of production or specific, you know, people. I, I that makes me independent in the sense that I will have the artistic freedom with the director, or the director has the artistic freedom to do, you know, what you want to do, and we can really go very far in on the creational side. You know, this is very specific to the way I do it. You know, you know, other people do it other way, but. Uh, in this whole thing, being a producer and what I do is actually, you know, being uh, the partner of the director from the beginning to the end. And then, you know, putting the crew together is very important as well, obviously, because it, again, it comes with, uh, you know, kind of how the film is made. And we need to have people, you know, who's really devoted, who's interested in film, interested in the project. Yeah. We don't put people together just because they want to make money. Yeah, you need of course, passion to feel it. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I, I mean, we, we take care of the people should obviously be paid properly for their work and what they do, but we really want to have people who are engaged in it because money are often tight and you have to find yeah. solutions and you have to often find goodwills to you know push and a little the, bit more on people along the, and yes, you know and yes. if you're making something good the challenge is high yes you know? exactly I, the, the way i always think about it is that perhaps people don't quite realize that producing movie it's like starting a new company every single time <laughs> yes which is an absurd amount of work <laughs> yes yeah but the advantage of that is still that then you can learn from your mistakes <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true you're not stuck with this goddamn company yes. you started yeah um so look if, if times are so rough for independent cinema and productions and and filmmakers 
is there light at the end of the tunnel? Is are there things you think that the industry could be doing to support filmmakers more, or do you think things are just going to get tougher as time goes on? Well, the, when you look at the world situation today, I'm I'm not very confident that it's going to get easier. To be very honest, um, I think that you know again I go back to uh, it's really political decision because we're very fortunate still in, in Europe to have institutions that support arts, mm. and uh, what we have is good, but it has to be better. And you know, it's the choice to say that. With the structures that we have now, the financial structures has been shaken, you know, by by the streamers coming in. And, you know, we have to find a way that all this would work together again, but in a context where, you know, we get protected, you know, in the systems that we always have and which is very healthy, I think. And that is political, you know, it's, and we need that conscience of it. And, uh, mm. you know. Can you explain to us how has the industry felt the impact of the streamers over the last decade? The thing is, in general, there's like, you know, there's a change of how we consume films. And that obviously comes from many other things. It's not only the streamers coming sure. in, the world changes and, you know, the net, the access, the smartphones, you know, the difficulties of the cinema was already, people getting into the cinema was already there before the COVID and before, you know, kind of. So it's has shaken up, you know, kind of the, the ground stones of everywhere. So I think we're right now in this day where everything moves around and where yeah. we have to find, you know, I mean, diversity is important. Uh, it's important that everybody works together and we have to understand what's happening and then find solutions. I don't know the solutions, no. but uh, other than to say that, you know, diversity is vital and we must protect that. And that's what I keep on saying. It's political that we have to, creativity is political because we need, we need support to do that because because that we don't get from anywhere else than the institutions right now, you know, mm. if not the kind of movies that I produce, if we didn't have, you know, kind of the interest, the the, the cultural interest and, and institution, we, we wouldn't be able to make them. I mean, obviously it's for people who love going to the cinema and who love cinema in general, it's very sad that cinemas are struggling, but there could be a world in which, you know, the access to millions of people online could actually be really beneficial for independent filmmakers, provided there was not such kind of a tight clasp on the monetization of uh, those things by basically about three companies in the world. Is there some kind of digital model which, well, not as beautiful and romantic as watching things projected on large screens, you know, could end up getting truly diverse, young, different uh, perspectives to people who may never have ever have gone to an art house cinema before. Yeah. But I think that the, for sure the media has to work together. You know, mm. we have to figure out a way to, and, and for the moment it's for sure like all which is, you know, kind of the new medias that the, the, the young public uses is not serving the art house cinema. And I really trust that, you know, it's not the interest that lacks, it's the access and the understanding or, or kind of that is missing, you know, and that's, again, I come back to, I mean, maybe it's a little bit formal, but it's like, you know, to understand that we need support to know how we promote or market art house cinema is mm. vital because how do we get the young people to see you know kind of to get into the cinema see the art house movies or seeing different kind of movies than the one they're used to see on streamers or, mm. or you know is uh, is very interesting i don't know how but i just had a very a great example of you know we had the, uh, there's a retrospective uh, coming up in france right now with the last one trias movies and there was actually a lot of young audience who was discovering last but it was very, very interesting because there I had a mini kind of hope of experience, you know, where, you know, you certainly say like the young guys and on the media saying like, 
check out this guy from Trier. He's quite interesting, you know. And then I thought, whoa, 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 there's something happening here. First of all, really, really nice, of course, that the young audience now rediscover discover his films. Yeah. And then that there is, uh, voila, so... I think there's 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 hope that uh, you know kind of the medias can work together and that it actually can serve the art house uh, you know kind of circus and then I keep the hope I think that in you know coming out of the covid and everything it's like you know more than ever I think that it's very difficult I think for many many people to get back together and get yeah. out in the social life and but I think the thing the community things about going to cinema and being together and having the experience together I trust in that I really trust that people need it I mean I feel that around me right now and everywhere I see it's like people are not in a very good state you know no. they're really not in a very good state and and I think the best healing thing of that is being together going to the cinema together yeah, it's, it's one of the things it's together, like a, yeah. yes enjoying arts you know looking at something else than material things but going into the arts you know going to the cinema going to the is, is something that yeah can be healing for people and it's very needed in these pretty tough times when did you first meet Lars von Trier? And when you did, did you kind of instantaneously realize, oh, he's a person not like other people? <laughs> <laughs> that you do the instant you meet him, for sure. <laughs> I think that's the experience everybody has. Um, I actually, uh, I started very, very young in the film business. Uh, I have no education in film business. I just started straight working. It was just by happened like that cool. and uh, I started in distribution where I uh, we did a lot of Danish film festivals in Paris and at the time we had uh, epidemic in distribution and he came shortly and I was supposed to translate for him and I was terrible at French at the time <laughs> so when he told me little lady I don't need anybody to you know talk for me <laughs> I was very happy and that was like my first little encounter and I was like whoa, whoa, whoa that's something that <laughs> you know it's not very nice but <laughs> Uh, and then uh, actually his partner, uh, his company partner came to Paris because he, he they wanted to, you know, kind of hook up, uh, you know, making a partnership and work with somebody in France making a company. And I was like, I'm ready. I love to do that. And they chose to go with somebody else, which of course I was very unhappy about. <laughs> but I mean, I was very young and really green. And then very luckily for me, that didn't work out. And then things were getting into motion. So they said, okay, map. Are you ready to go stepping? They actually came and offered me caviar and vodka, and I loved that at the time. <laughs> so uh, I said yes, and I was very lucky. And then was the first film you worked on with him Breaking the Waves? Yes. It's not a bad start, is it? What was it like when, when you won the Grand Prix? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <sighs> oh, fantastic. Sure. It was surrealistic. It's like, uh, you know, I consider myself being very, very lucky that I had the chance and, you know, I was uh, invited in to be part of his filmmaking somewhere, even if it was a small part at the time. And, and uh, you know, I, it really, I really think it set, it set the level of, of uh, you know, kind of what I've been doing as a producer because, you know, working with a, a master like him sets everything else you do into perspective. So the poor guy's coming with a script after, you know, having read his was like, <laughs> so I suppose that's why I've, you know, kind of been lucky then to find, you know, other filmmakers that has, uh, you know, very strong, unique voices as well to work with. But uh, yeah. When I was growing up in London around kind of 1995, I was like 12, 13 or something. Everybody would talk about dogma, dogma, dogma. And it was this idea of something incredibly cool coming from Denmark. Yeah. And it was like, punk's back, baby, but this time is on film. Um, at the time, in the middle of it, did it feel very exciting or was it a bit of a joke? No, it's thing is, uh, it's very serious. He was absolutely right. 
you needed a revolution to do something else. It's not because low budget filmmaking done with nothing and, you know, where it means or think whatever, what resembled a little bit of a dog was there. But what he did was like, he really gave a gift, I think, to everybody by, you know, kind of getting this out into to the, you know, the big public and make it, made it happen. You know, it, it made it legitimized, you know, the fact of doing, you know, different thing, you know, doing uh, low budget movies, uh, you know, with content, but not, uh, you know, kind of with the smoothness of, uh, you know, kind of the Hollywood productions. Another guest at this very film festival is Harmony Green, who then went on to make Julian Donkey Boy on the Dogma Manifesto. So, mm. I mean, I always thought that it's, um, it's an amazing move to go from winning the Grand Prix to releasing the idiots. What was that film like to work on and 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 produce? Because it's, I remember around the time when it came out, and uh, mm. I was thrilled, and it was deeply controversial and very funny and very moving and very thought provoking. But you know, must have been a complicated thing to work on at the time. Well, the thing is, last always is surprising. <laughs> You know, and he never does what's expected, which is beautiful, <laughs> which of course everybody loves. But making the what's interesting about the idiots, I think, and which maybe is people less know less, is that he says, yes, it's a dogma film. There was like hundreds of hours shot, you know, it's like just improvising and all that. The fact is when you read the script and when you see the film, it's very close. Really? Very, very close. Oh, I thought it was and that's how improvised. It is. That's what I'm saying. That's what everybody thinks. It's like, but it was a very sharp, sharp idea and structure of what he wanted to do. And, and, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's, you know, he's a master. Yeah. <laughs> he's I mean, a master it, of his art. It's lucky that it was Lars von Trier and Vinterberg who came up with Dogma because in other hands, it could have made much worse. <laughs> it could films. have been like this. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. Two young people who want to be producers who, have the energy and the optimism to dive into dive into the flames and fight the rolling tide of capitalism and big tech. What would your advice be? Be courageous. <laughs> what would my advice be? Um, I think that uh, you know you have to be you have to be a little bit crazy to do this, you know. And uh, this is really a question of passion and not money. You know, if you want to make money, you run away from this business straight away. If you want to have a comfortable life, you get run away straight away. And I'm talking, I'm saying this out of my point of view, the way I do it and the kind of movies I, I produce, obviously, because that's, a, I think that uh, again, you know, the best thing you can do, and I say that to directors as well, it's like, I think that to young directors, it's like the best things is actually you, you find your partner because it's a rough road and it's very, very difficult and it demands a lot of you. It demands a lot of suffering as well as pleasure but a lot of you know and uh, so you want to have uh, somebody with you that is really worth it and and personally that's what I do when I choose films it's like I re it really has to be worth it I really want to know that there's something at stake that we're trying to do something we're exploring something we're going somewhere with it uh, so you just have to you know you have to believe in what you do and you really have to I think it's important to think about what what it is you want when you go into this what what is really want to achieve with that, you know, personally? Okay, look, well, thank you very, very much for your time. It's been a great pleasure. pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks again to Marianne. This has been Locarno Meets, a podcast from Locarno Film Festival brought to you by UBS. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your pods. This has been a true anti-classic production, hosted by me, Alexander Miller, and produced by Jack Boswell. <laughs>